discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, it's that time again. It's 11 o'clock Central African time and it's time for Africa Dialogue or African Dialogue. Thank you for joining us right here on your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance here on Channel Africa. I'm Benjamin Moshatama and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa online. It's on www.channelafrica.org. We appreciate you joining us. Today we go back uh, live to East London where the 2014 Gender War Development Conference as we wrap up our broadcast here on uh, African Dialogue and finding out some of the issues that were covered at that particular conference. We know that there was a huge declaration that was signed by the African Minister's Council of Water. So we'll find out what that declaration is all about. But before that, we've got Onela standing by to give us our news. And taking a look at your headlines. Burkina Faso's army, politicians and civil society leaders agreed to a one-year political transition fighting between forces loyal to Libya's elected government and a loose alliance of Islamist and regional militias has killed nearly 400 people across the country in the past three weeks. And two boys found fending for themselves in the streets of Brazil have arrived at the OR Tambo International Airport in South Africa. Burkina Faso's army, politicians and civil society leaders have agreed to a one-year political transition with elections in November next year following highly charged critics talks yesterday. The talks were mediated by Ghana's President John Dramani Mahada alongside his Nigerian counterpart Goodluck Jonathan and Senegal's President Marquis Sall. The trio travelled to Ogodugu to press for the swift return of civilian rule after the military appointed one of its its own Lieutenant Colonel Isaac Zida to run the country following last week's ouster of President Blaise Compare. Compare was forced to flee the country after tens of thousands took to the streets and set Parliament ablaze in violent protests against efforts to extend his 27-year rule. 
fighting between forces loyal to Libya's elected government and a loose alliance of Islamist and regional militias has killed nearly 400 people across the country in the past three weeks. There was turmoil since long-serving dictator Muammar Gaddafi was overthrown by a NATO-backed uprising in 2011. The country has been left bitterly divided. In the eastern city of Benghazi, government allied forces, including those led by former General Khalifa Haftar, have been battling more radical Islamist militias for control in the city since mid-October. A medical official said the fighting in Benghazi has claimed 252 lives since 15th of, of, of October. Both the official and the militia commander in the West spoke on conditions of anonymity because they were not authorized to speak to the press. More than 200 people have been arrested after being linked to the recent attacks against civilians near Beni Town in the North Kivu province of DRC. United Nations spokesperson Stephanie Dujeric says dozens of people were killed last month in attacks suspected to have been carried out by the Ugandan-based rebels known as the Elite Democratic Forces. The UN mission in the DRC MONUSCO has reinforced its troops and police in Beni to protect civilians. From the DRC, the UN mission there announced today that more than 200 people were arrested in relation to recent attacks against civilians around Beni in North Kivu. Among them were members of the Allied Democratic Forces, the rebel ADF, who are believed to be responsible for these attacks. Weapons, ammunitions, and other military equipment was seized. And the operation was carried out by the national police with the UN mission police, while MONUSCO military forces are also intensifying their patrols in the region. Two South African boys who were found fending for themselves in the streets of Brazil have arrived at the Oartambo International at Johannesburg. The boys, who are aged 7 and 13, are believed to have gone with their mother to Brazil, where she was recruited to traffic drugs to Portugal. The woman has been jailed in Portugal, where she is awaiting trial. Brazilian authorities found the children and sent them to the South African mission in Sao Paulo. Dressed in blue long sleeved shirts, the two looked so relaxed and happy to be back. The boys have been in Brazil with their mother whom they last saw in December for the past six years. They were found by a Brazilian national who heard that they were from South Africa and took them to the South African consulate in Sao Paulo. The 13-year-old speaks English and Portuguese while the 7-year-old only speaks Portuguese. Social Development Minister Batabile Lamini will meet with the boys before they are taken to their foster home in KZN later today. And finally, New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists has accused Kenyan police of detaining, harassing and threatening journalists working for local newspapers. CPJ named Justin Ochieng has says as one of the journalists that police have threatened to kill after being detained unlawfully before publishing stories of policemen turning into robbers. James Shimanyula reports. So far, Kenya police have not responded to accusations made by the New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists, CPJ, that Justin Soching, who works for the local star newspaper, has undergone unlawful detention and regular harassment. Speaking to me from Kisumu City on Lake Victoria, west of Nairobi, Justin Soching said police detained and harassed him several times after he published a story in the Star, a local daily newspaper paper highlighting policemen that turned into criminals and robbed a fellow policeman of his 3,000 U.S. dollars. 
Recapping on your top stories, Burkina Faso's army, politicians and civil society leaders agree to a one-year political transition, fighting between forces loyal to Libya's elected government and a loose alliance of Islamists and regional militias has killed nearly 400 people across the country in the past three weeks. And two boys found fending for themselves in the streets of Brazil have arrived at the Oartambo International Airport in South Africa. Channel Africa News. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. And you can catch me on at Zonke Music on Twitter and Zonke Dikana on Facebook. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa and not Humanity right now. It is uh, the African Dialogue. But we do love Zonke. She was in our studios being interviewed there in uh, Humanity. I'm sure you'll hear that out in uh, the future programs here on Channel Africa. And it's exciting indeed to be part of this process of the African Renaissance ourselves. You are listening to us here on our frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Well, on Monday, we did cross live to the 2014 Gender and Water Development Conference just setting the pace for today, just finding out what the conference is all about and really setting the tone for today's conversation. But a lot of developments have taken place at uh, the conference itself in East London, and that's in the Eastern Cape in South Africa. Various delegates from all over the continent are there to speak about this particular issue itself. Now, a declaration has been signed at the 2014 Gender Water and Development Conference where African ministers were committing to equal access of clean water, Uh, reliable sanitation and gender equity within the water sector in Africa. The declaration was signed by members of the African Minister's Council on Water, which comprises of over 50 African countries. Now, they were led by South Africa's Minister of Water and Sanitation, Nomvula Mokonyane, and also the ministers were making a pledge to position women as the key drivers of the economic development agenda in the water sector. And I think that's an important development indeed. But on the line, we have uh, Marietta Ferhoof Cohen, who is the president of the Women for Water Partnership. And also we're going to try to connect with Magdalene Matiba Madiba, who's the head of the gender unit at the SADC Secretariat. But let's see if uh, we have our studios ready there in East London, where we're crossing there live to see what's happening at the conference. Uh, Marietta, are you there with us? Can you hear us here in Johannesburg? Yes, we're definitely here. Fantastic. It's great to hear your voice. And also, thank you for joining us, Magdalene. Now, let's start with you, uh, uh, Mariette, in terms of looking at uh, this declaration and its significance. Tell us a little bit about the declaration that was signed by the members of the African Minister's Council on Water uh, during this uh, particular conference. How important is it? It is very important. We are all here to empower women in the water sector. We have looked at, uh, already for the last couple of years, we have looked where women 
uh, why women are the carriers of water instead of being the uh, water managers. And we want them in different levels, at higher levels, and in div different decision-making positions. So uh, we are happy with these uh, declarations because all the things we would have liked to see in there are actually uh, in there. Now, let's look at the elements that are uh, highlighted in this particular declaration. Could you elaborate on it? What does the declaration itself say, Mariette? It says that uh, women um, should be in more leadership uh, positions. Uh, they say that they have to have the opportunity to actually go uh, to the different uh, events and the high-level uh, meetings so they can be together with the ministers, the governments and the national uh, organizations in a decision-making process so that not only the decisions of the men are being heard but also of the women. And what we as Women for water partnership really want is water for all, equal access for all, uh, but also water for all users. Well, that's interesting. I also have just a, a little summary here in front of me just for our listeners to understand what we mean by the ministerial declaration uh, that was signed by the MCAWA members yesterday, which is the African Minister's Council on Water. Now, we'll find out the function just briefly of these ministers, what they will be doing from now on. But uh, let's just read through some of the main points for you. Uh, the implementation uh, of the MCAW policy and strategy of mainstreaming gender on the water sector at country level as a matter of urgency. That's one of the calls. Another one is that ministers are to propose to MCAO to introduce Gender Day uh, during the Africa Water Week conference as of 2015 onwards. It's good to see that uh, agenda, uh, agenda coming there on point there. Also, we're seeing the point of ensuring that water and sanitation remain on the development agenda for Africa post-2015. Also, we have a, a very interesting element as well here on reporting and communication on the status of commitments achieved by each country after the declaration is endorsed. Now, I want to bring you in, Magdalene Madiba, Madiba in terms of uh, SADC's role in this whole uh, process. Uh, what were your views in terms of this particular declaration? Does it also move forward the mandate for SADC? Indeed it does. It does in a very big way because, I mean, everything that was discussed in this workshop ties very neatly with the policies, instruments, uh, you know, that have been designed by SADC and that our heads of states have committed to. I'm happy to say that in terms of the SADC protocol on gender and development, in terms of the water protocol, and also in terms of the SADC gender mainstreaming toolkit and the SADC gender policy, the key priorities around water is to ensure show that gender is integrated into the water sector at all levels and the conference has covered that efficiently. As SADC we are concerned about equal access to water, affordable water uh, and we are also very key to ensure that women are participants at all levels of decision making pertaining to water resources. One other thing that is very crucial according to the SADC gender policy that the conference covered efficiently 
is the importance of hygiene and sanitation in within the context of water. So I really want to believe that uh, for purposes of really pushing the agenda of women's empowerment ahead and also to, to, to reinvigorate the energy around mainstreaming gender into the water sector, this conference has achieved a lot. And the declaration that ministers have just signed will assist all of us in the various institutions, both at regional, continental, and even at the UN level, as we are going ahead to engage on this draft sustainable development goals post-2015 agenda. I want to believe that we are sitting in a very good negotiation position. Well, I think also let's come back to this woman theme. It seems to be the uh, kind of a link, the main theme, the main conversation that we've been looking at. And someone would ask, why is it essential to see women as main drivers of development in the water sector? Your view, Mariette? Well, it is important because history already shows that women always have worked around water. And uh, I think their experience from the ground is important to look at because uh, we know as women what to do and how to, uh, to have not only water for our village or our family or our community, but also to keep it clean and to use the next steps so that if the girls don't have to pick up water anymore, they can actually uh, go to school and be educated and start continuing in the, um, in the process of decision-making. Yeah, definitely. And because I think also it's a communal thing where we see actually women are central around water in itself. And it's something that we've uh, taken for granted over uh, the the years as a continent in our development. Why is it important now, Magdalene, to actually highlight this and say, hey, this is a sector where women should actually have that uh, decision making uh, position and post where they actually have a role in that aspect? Uh, absolutely. Uh, women are not only custodians, but they are caretakers of water as an important resource. And again, women don't seem to be involved in discussions around controlling water. So we have serious issues and concerns around control over and even ownership. And in terms of water, particularly access and affordability. And at the same time, the women are the ones who safeguard, who, who harvest the water, who, who, who actually benefit at primary level, but they are not necessarily involved in big decisions pertaining to this huge resource. So we are saying water is a basic human right. Women must be in the forefront, not only as beneficiaries, but also as decision makers so that we can realize true women's empowerment in this area. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Moshatama. Today we are uh, going live and uh, speaking to uh, the experts right there in East London and uh, they are attending the 2014 Gender and Water and Development Conference. As you've heard, we have Mariette Ferruf-Cohen, who is the president uh, of the Women for, Partner- of Women for Water Partnership, rather. And also we have Magdalene Matiba-Madiba, who's the head of gender unit at the SEDEC Secretary. 
Secretariat. Very important step. The declaration has been met. But hey, it's not just a declaration. I'm sure it needs to unfold and we'll come back to how it will unfold. And also there are challenges in this sector, especially when you look at the continent. We live in a very patriarchal society. We live in a very much dominated society by males and men in various sectors. And when you look at the uh, water sector, we see a lot of uh, men dominating in that particular uh, area. But hey, we want to hear from you in terms of women and uh, the water role that they play in our lives. I use the uh, kind of phrase water role. It's not necessarily to say how uh, it's, a, it's a little role, but to say how they safeguard our communities in the way that we use water, in the way that we access water. The role that women play, how, is, how important is it in our communities? Let us know your thoughts. Plus two seven. Eight two three three two five nine zero five. We'll come back and continue with this conversation. Ebola bits. Symptoms may develop from two to twenty-one days, normally in eight to ten days. Symptoms often begin with a sudden fever, along with muscle aches and a headache. There may also be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, a cough, and a sore throat. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by the World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using hashtag BeatEbolaNow. Twenty minutes past eleven o'clock Central African time. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're crossing live to East London at the 2014 Gender, Water, and Development Conference. I, I'm actually kind of getting schooled through this conference during the week. Kind of how women are pivotal in the how we utilize water, how we can actually see the development of the water sector in our African countries. I think it's a very pivotal moment for us as a continent to reflect and also also to thank our women in our various countries to say, hey, wow, you guys need to be actually hailed for some of the contributions you've made in our society. But hey, we've seen a declaration being signed, but how will it unfold in various uh, countries? Do we have a model or a guideline, Mariette, to see the aspirations highlighted in these uh, declaration realized? Uh, we definitely, uh, in the declarations, we see the commitment of the MCA minister. <coughs> Sorry. And uh, one of the things I really want to emphasize as well is uh, the very good thing is that they, at, uh, in this commitment, they said they want to promote to establish a fund for women and water uh, for a sustainable follow-up initiative of the high-level gender forum in Tajikistan. This means in Tajikistan we were uh, requesting a fund so that women really had the opportunity to go to these different high-level meetings where they could show their interest and where they could show their uh, experience. And uh, this is actually put down now in the commitment of the ministers. So we are very, very thrilled about that. 
also apologize to Magdalene Matiba Madibela, who's the head of gender unit at the SADC Secretariat. I gave her Madiba's name, and I'm sure she should be proud where she is. Uh, you know? <laughs> but I apologize for that. That's the name I was given, but we apologize for that particular error. But hey, let's come back to you in terms of the importance of that MCOW meeting that is set to be in 2015 to deliberate on the declarations. How important is that meeting, uh, Magdalene? This meeting is very crucial because it actually ties in on to ongoing processes. As you are aware, currently we are reviewing the 2015 uh, agenda and we are drafting the sustainable development goals. Over and above that, there are so many other processes that are ongoing. 2015 is the year where SADC Secretariat has to have achieved quite a number of targets according to the SADC Protocol on Gender and Development. There are quite a number of discussions that will really be informed by this process. But what makes this conference different, Benji, is the reality that, look, the rural women themselves were involved in this process and we are looking forward to now translating this declaration into action at national level and we are hoping to see real life transformation in the lives of the women themselves around the reduction of diseases, around ensuring that there is clean water, around their meaningful participation to achieving use of indigenous knowledge that they so much possess and even improving of hygiene and sanitation in their communities. So it's quite crucial to translate this beautiful declaration into action. Mm. How important is that, uh, Mariette, what uh, Magdalene is highlighting there? It is important because now we can, we as Women for Water Partnership, we already started with the grassroots women to uplift them, to make projects, to uh, get land ownership, to look into health, agriculture, and all these important water-related issues. And uh, so this declaration gives them the opportunity to actually go ahead and for us to help them to uh, f- with capacity building and to get them constantly this one level up. But um, I must say that what I and really enjoyed in this meeting in that there were grassroots women invited, and they were there were translations. They were all in the in the sessions. Now at the moment we have uh, another big session on what they really think of this meeting and the declaration. So uh, it is wonderful of this m- uh, minister that she invited them, and she keeps saying the minister, your minister of uh, water and sanitation, we will do nothing about them without them. Well, coming back to that issue of grassroots issues, I, I spoke to a lady yesterday, and I want us to listen to the conversation earlier on that we had yesterday, who ha- was uh, pioneering and part of a grassroots project called Adopt a River. And uh, she was speaking there yesterday from the East London uh, studios there. And it really, it was a very interesting conversation. What was very personal to me was that it's interesting to see community members, women, empowering themselves to actually be part of social change in various communities. Let's hear more from Pili Swamulus, who is the supervisor of a grassroots project called Adopt a River. This project is about cleaning a river. It's called 
um, Satgob's Adopted River in Port Elizabeth. It started 1st September 2013, so we are about a year now. It consists of um, 50 women, of which four of us are, are here to represent the other women. So let's look at this uh, issue that you guys are dealing with, adopting a river in terms of cleaning water. What are the main challenges that women face in your area in terms of water access? Okay, um, the main challenges that women face, first of all, the the river is in between the communities called Kwamataiki and Fearplus. And um, the one called Fearplus, it's full of shacks mm. so there were floods i think 2010 then the clothes beds fridges and everything they went into the river mm. so it's been hard for them to use that water because it's dirty mm. and sanitation as well it's also a problem um, they have small pipes so they burst the water um, receives all the chemicals that are coming from um, <coughs> the drains. Mm, mm. Yes, so it gets polluted by the drains. Yes. Mm. Now you say your project is one year old, uh, police. So how successful have you been on this particular project in terms of uh, getting assistance in cleaning these rivers and uh, the water streams in your area? Well, we are so successful as a result. Like I said to you before, we've won uh, at Northwest 60th annual celebration this year, August, in the water category. So when we measure from where we started from up until now, we think we have achieved a lot because from here at water and sanitation, sanitation they do come and then they test the water, then they give us report back that no we're actually on track. Now, my final question to you. You are there right at the uh, Gender, Water and Development Conference. Uh, what do you want to see coming out of this particular conference? What do you want to take out of this particular event? Okay. We actually expect to understand the relationship between gender and water. We also want to learn the best practices that we can exercise about um, water and be able to plow back to the community because whatever we've learned from here, we must take it back to the community and also be able to encourage women to participate Mm. in this Mm. field. Congratulations on uh, your successes and uh, on your great project. And uh, thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, Piliso. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. That is Piliso Amulosi, who is the supervisor of the Adopt-A-River project, taking her own initiative with other women in her own area, making sure that the environment that she lives with has clean water, which is fantastic. And uh, I wish her well there. She was joining us on the line from East London at the Gender, Water and Development Conference.
Yeah, what an inspiring story that we had there yesterday. A group of women in their own community taking an initiative by themselves and actually partnering up with government and whoever they need to partner up with to make sure that they have uh, that uh, issues of water challenges dealt with in their own communities. But I'm told right, right, right now that we have the Deputy Minister of the South African Department of Water and Sanitation joining us, uh, Pamela Schwerte. And uh, just a reminder that we also have Magdalene Matiba Madibela, who is the head of gender unit at the SEDEC Secretariat. And also we have Mariette Ferruf uh, Cohen, who's the president of the Women for Water Partnership. Now let's start with you, Deputy Minister, in terms of looking at uh, women becoming the key drivers of development in the water sector. We've highlighted this briefly and very important insights were highlighted by Mariette and Magdalena's women actually being the uh, gatekeepers when it comes to how water is used in our communities. How important that we lift them up in this sector. Oh, hi. Um, my name is Pam Prater. I'm phoning from Islandan, as you're saying. Um, I've, just, I've just joined you. Um, I was interested in the, 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 the discussions around the um, Adopter River program. Mm. I just want to start by saying the majority of women in the rural areas are not benefiting to our dams. And we thought that the Adopter River program, because the majority of them really in the rural areas are not working, are unemployed, and this, it will teach them the environment around the rivers, the cleanliness of the rivers, why do we have to keep the rivers clean? And again, quite importantly, I think it's, it's important that women that are not doing anything, this will again make sure that people do get employment like there are so many that are unemployed as you know that a majority of our women in the in the rural areas uh, are not working so i think that the adopter river program it, it will provide a stipend to to women and coming to this uh, conference it, it it has started three days ago and so far it's, it's doing well. I, I want to say that we are happy with the dialogue on practical empowerment of poor women and men in relation to water that has unfolded here. The experiences shared by the panelists in the section reflect the extent of challenges facing our communities and work that continue to confront development practitioners, researchers, and policymakers in the gender, water, and development. And again, I want to say this conference must work for all of us to identify and foster partnerships for future research, collaboration, action, and policy implementation, and mobilize regional political support for the rollout of gender strategy. Now, another issue that's been on debate for a while is the privatization of water and the cost of water, and it seems to be still ongoing, uh, uh, Deputy Minister. How do we deal with it in societies where water is becoming less of a human rights issue, but is becoming more and more commercialized on the continent? How do we make sure that still we put the human rights agenda before the more commercialized uh, um, kind of uh, agenda? Yeah. The, we had a, a very good panel that had somebody from human rights that was uh, Prex and uh, highlighted around the issues of human rights. And I think 
one of the issues that uh, women uh, it, it is a debate which is which is very serious that water is given to it's privatized let me say it's privatized i would say because majority of people that are poor don't get uh, uh, water and water is, is is being you know used by people that have money the private sector and they don't pay for that water this conference is is trying by all means to make sure that we should at, at, at some stage, make sure that people that are running farms and, and private sectors pay for, for water because the majority of people and women that are poor do not get uh, water. And that's, that's one of the issues that we're going to talk about or we are talking about or we've already talked about in this conference. Now, Magdalene, that uh, human rights element, especially when it comes to women's access to water, is uh, a very interesting one. Would you like to elaborate on that? Indeed, uh, water is a human right issue, and uh, we've discussed all week that water has a gender face. And we've also discussed the reality around ensuring that gender is mainstreamed within the water sector. By so saying, we are saying... Women should have access to clean water and women should have access to affordable water as a matter of human right. It is quite saddening to see across Africa that water continues to be highly commercialized and too expensive, particularly for the rural communities. That is unacceptable, and I want to believe that this conference will give us the impetus to go forward as we implement the declaration of ministers as well as the recommendations. Mariette, your views? Yes, I absolutely uh, agree with Madeline because she is uh, she's saying it has to be affordable and it has to be uh, access for everyone. And uh, I don't mean that every water has to be free, but it has to be able, the people have to be able to pay for it. So maybe there have to be different uh, suggestions, but that has up to the, that's up to the governments. But uh, if women own the projects, then uh, they will make sure that it will be affordable and that it will be equitable access for all. Well, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and, and look at uh, the issue of uh, uh, the um, issue of uh, the challenges, especially when you look at the water sector in uh, rural areas and also the quality of uh, water that uh, uh, people are getting in their own communities. But we want to hear from you, our listener, in terms of uh, the importance of uh, women around water. Uh, how important are uh, women in terms of safeguarding our water and making sure that we have uh, clean water in our communities? Very important subject, and I think someone something that we've actually taken for granted for long. And I think that this conference is very essential in putting that in the spotlight. But let us know your thoughts on this conversation we're having on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. We have three women, and I think it's awesome uh, that uh, they are right there at the Gender Water and Development Conference speaking to us. It's Pamela Schwerter, who is the Deputy Minister of the South African Department of Water and Sanitation. Also 
also we have uh, Magdalene Matiba Madibela and uh, earlier on I called her Madiba so I'm, I'm going to keep it just for the duration of this program I think it's pretty cool and then uh, she is the head of gender unit at the SEDEC Secretariat and also we have uh, Mariette Ferryuf um, Cohen who is the president of the Women for Water Partnership we'll continue with all our three experts on the line and uh, come back to this issue as we wrap up the program Hi, I'm Zonge Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. And you can catch me on at Zonke Music on Twitter and Zonke Digana on Facebook. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Time right now is 39 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. And if you're listening to us online, you're listening to us on www.channelafrica.org. And I want to wrap up this conversation. We have only a few minutes left, but I want to touch on uh, some of the challenges in rural areas on the continent. What are the main challenges, uh, Pamela, in terms of uh, uh, the situation in South Africa? Are we dealing with uh, the uh, issue of access to water in a smooth way, especially in the last 20 years of our democracy? Yeah, let me start by saying this department is new. It's, it's only five months old, the Department of Water and Sanitation. But I do want to say, and I'm proud that the, we, we've done a, a lot of work, myself and the minister, because uh, it, it, it President has just launched the project, a big water project in City Bank. And, and people there didn't have water and they were complaining that there is no water. But what we intend to do, myself and the minister, we have many dams in South Africa and our women, poor women, don't benefit from those dams and we do want to say we want to do the turnaround strategy people must benefit because some of the dams they are in within their where they stay but they go they don't benefit and to other areas rather than them and majority of women are suffering and getting water from the rivers we are trying to stop that. We want to say all women have a right to clean water. So we are, and we are really serious about that, and we must get water. But I do want to, again, because you've asked the question in these 20 years, yes, we've done a lot, and, and I know that I grew up fetching water from the rivers, but... Again, in my area, in Piltin, there are taps, and and most of them, they, they, were, they are no longer getting water from the rivers. And we, we haven't finished. We know that there are still areas that we, women are still getting water from the rivers. But we want to say we are going to work on that, and people must get clean water and not f- fetching water from the rivers. 
Well, I want to move on to that uh, from that issue because we have uh, a few minutes left. I want to look at something that struck out for me is the issue of the relationship between water and sanitation. It's a, uh, an international issue. And something that's highlighted in the ministerial declaration is that water and sanitation should remain on the development agenda for Africa post-2015, especially when you look at those sustainable development goals. Mariette, how important is that? Again, very important. We're working towards the uh, uh, Sustainable Development Goals 2015, and uh, at the moment, the working group in the UN have already made a list. And uh, the good thing is that at the moment, one of the uh, the goals is water and sanitation. That means it's a separate goal that uh, we want uh, access to water for everyone. We want the gender issues, so we want to see the women as agents of change. And the sanitation is very important because we didn't yet um, make that true in the Millennium Development Goals. So we have to really work hard to make sanitation uh, for our health, for our pollution of the water, for everything around us. That has to be implemented and uh, toilet projects, everything we, uh, we can do, we have to aim and work hard at it. Well, finally, let me let you, Magdalene, to have the final say. I know we have a lot of these conferences in, uh, in various forums on the continent. How do we make sure that this is not just another talk shop, that actually we see this agenda moving forward from 2014? Uh, Thank you. This conference is yet another opportunity to bring research and policy together towards effective implementation. A lot has been said around the importance of capacity building for women and for policymakers as well as for experts in the area of water pertaining to women's empowerment and gender issues. I really want to believe that the recommendations from this conference will advance that. Over and above that, the critical importance of gender mainstreaming and integrating gender in the water sector remains paramount. The recommendations from this workshop will assist us to push that agenda further by way of really ensuring that in every program or project we do in water, we take consideration of the specific needs of men and women, specific needs of boys and girls, and to ensure that our policies are informed by the situation on the ground. And uh, lastly, this conference has really strengthened partnerships, partnerships between governments, partnerships between institutions such as SADC and the UN, and most importantly, partnerships with civil society and the women from the rural areas themselves. So as we move together as a collective, I truly believe that uh, we will all be able to synchronize, to consolidate Mm. our strengths and move our efforts in a much more accelerated 
educated manner. Networking will be further strengthened as we go forward. Thank you so much. Uh, that was Magdalene Matiba Madibela. I'm calling her my Madiba for this uh, particular hour. And uh, she is the head of uh, gender unit at the SADC Secretariat. Thank you so much, Magdalene Matiba Madi, uh, Mad- Madibela, for joining us here on uh, the program. Thank you as well to Pamela Chuete, who is the Deputy Minister of the South African Department of Water and Sanitation. I also want to thank uh, Mariette Ferhoof Cohen, who is uh, the President uh, for the Women for Water Partnership. Thank you all for Hello. joining us there uh, in East London. Thank you for giving us your time in these last uh, 40 minutes. But that's how we wrap up that conversation. Let us know your thoughts about this conversation. Women's role in terms of access to water, uh, the development in the, the water sector. How important are they? Let us know your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven eight two three. Three two five nine zero five. We have Wisani Matebula standing by. He's going to give us our business news. Thanks, Benjamin. West African tourist chiefs are urging travelers not to boycott their region because of the Ebola crisis, insisting that the epidemic is only affecting three countries in a vast continent. Chief Executive Officer of West African Tourism, Ola Wright, says Africa is not a country but a continent, warning that fear of Ebola in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone is having a damaging impact on neighboring countries. The deadly virus has brought an abrupt and indefinite halt to international tourism in those three affected countries where more than 5,000 people have died of the outbreak. Dangote Cement, Nigeria's biggest listed company, expects to slow its capital expenditure next year to around $700 million as it completes most of its African expansion projects. Edwin Devakuma says Africa's biggest cement operation budgeted to spend around $1.4 billion this year as it ramps up its uh, cement works from Senegal to Zambia, the bulk of which are expected to begin production this year. Dangote Cement, which is majority owned by billionaire tycoon Aliko Dangote, embarked on ex- an expansion outside its home market to tap into infrastructure growth and uh, has invested more than $5 billion in projects. It has projects in Cameroon, Ethiopia, Kenya, Niger, in Zambia. Expect say financial institutions must invest more in the energy sector for Rwanda to realize its energy potential. This will not only increase the country's power generation capacity, but also lower the cost of power across the country. The experts were speaking during the closing ceremony of the IPED Rwanda Infrastructure and investment forum in Kigali. According to the experts, banks, insurance and the country's pension fund should play a leading role in financing the energy sector. Gold and diamond sales are being used to finance conflict in Central African Republic. A UN panel of experts says the UN peacekeepers should monitor mining sites to clamp down on illicit trade. In a report, the panel also said the peacekeeping mission, MINUSCA, should deploy troops to the remote north of the country 
and use drones to monitor the rebel-controlled region to put an end to simmering violence there. The mission, which is launched, in, which has been launched in September, rather, is operating at only two-thirds of its planned 12,000-strong capacity. The Kimberley process, a group of 81 countries, including all the major diamond producers, formed to prevent blood diamonds from funding conflict, imposed an export ban on raw germs from the CAR last year. South Africa's volatile currency is the biggest challenge to the manufacturing industry. Leading economists attending the country's uh, Department of Trade and Industry Economic Policy Dialogue have called on government to look at ways to have a competitive and stable exchange currency. This is in order for South Africa to diversify its economy, develop manufacturing and have sustained economic growth. Amina Akram reports. Economists say the depreciation of the rand has failed to help boost the country's manufacturing sector. Leading international economist Professor Joseph Stiglitz says the local manufacturing sector can benefit from the depreciation of the rand if other policies are pursued. He says government needs to address issues surrounding the volatility of the rand. It will only be a benefit if some other policies are uh, also uh, pursued. There has to be electricity available, there has to be infrastructure, and the exchange rate, most importantly, has to be stable. Financial indicators, the dollar trading at 11.09, South African rands at 9.07, Botswana Pules and 6.33, Zambian Quachas also at 0.62 against the British pound and 0.79 against the euro. Moving now to commodities, gold $1,138, platinum $1,198, a finance and the price of Brent crude oil is at $83.15 per barrel. And that's your economics news. Now, Figile Lingwati joins us on uh, uh, in our studios. I couldn't hear myself there for a moment there. Got confused. And uh, we've got Figile Lingwati laughing at me, but he's ready for our sports news. Now, sports update this hour, kicking off with football news. For African football to be free and progressive, there's a need to stop inheriting everything that's coming from Europe and start to believe in our own methods too. These are the views of the South African Footballer Coaches Association, SAFCA, at the Sokarex African Forum at the Moses Mabida Stadium in Durban. The debate centered on African teams' failure to reach the quarterfinals in the 2014 World Cup in Brazil and continuous shortcomings in the local game despite the presence of European coaches. Safka technical advisor Ted Dumitri says Africa should stop relying on foreign methods. If you look at the recent history of the World Cup, um, it's not a football system or a tactical system, it's not fitness. It is a philosophy that won the World Cup. It happened to Spain and it's happening now recently with Germany. Um, we expect another philosophy to become more complex, probably more effective, and win the, the next World Cup. 
Safka member Sudesh Singh, who has traveled the continent extensively and has recently returned from a coaching stint in Asia, told the gathering of African football administrators that the time has come for change. But something that, that really concerns me as an African is when we still think we can copy other models. We cannot be a better than a German, better than a Dutch, better than a French, but we can be a better Zimbabwean, a better Nigerian, a better South African. So I think that has been one of Africa's downfall for, 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 for decades. We always follow in other models. We want to mimic other countries because we don't know who we are. We don't have an identity. And I think as there's no national FA in Africa that has a national playing philosophy. And as such, if we don't have that, we will never achieve success. In rugby news, Springbok coach Henneke Meyer named an unchanged starting team ahead of the first encounter against Ireland on their end-of-the-year tour. Meyer says continuity from the box last test against the All Blacks will be key in trying to expose the weaknesses of the reigning Six Nations champions on Saturday. Meyer expects a tough battle against the Irish at Aviva Stadium in Dublin on Saturday. Yes, definitely. You know, it's... Uh been three weeks uh, since we last played and the team's done well, so uh, obviously want to keep some sort of continuity. The great thing is that a lot of these guys were available in our training camp as well, so uh, it's always easy if you can, uh, if you can pick more or less the same side. But by saying that, you know, we know Saturday's been an unbelievable challenge. Um, you know, we've worked through our, the game plan and uh, watched the Irish quite closely and the quality side. Um, not a lot of weaknesses there and we know it's going to be a tough battle. And finally with golf news. First, King Louis. And now, Tim Clark, who's opened with a 69 for 3 under par at the HSBC Champions. He's tied second. Worstenzen opened with a 70 for 2 under par and initial struggle at the HSBC Champions in Shanghai. Clark says it was tough to play to today. Well, uh, it's it's rather a long course for me, so uh, pretty happy with, with what I was able to do today, uh, especially in the sort of cold and wind, which uh, we hadn't expected, so uh, I'm very pleased. I hit a lot of a lot of woods and hybrids, and uh, just really try to make sure I hit the fairway, because obviously once you start missing the fairway out here, it's going to be a tough course. Today was tough. When it's, when it's a little bit cold and, and windy like it was, uh, the course played extremely long. That's your Sport News this hour. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining us for this hour here on African Dialogue. What an interesting, offbeat uh, conversation indeed. Uh, sometimes we take it for granted, just the societal issues that we deal with every day or just the realities of our everyday societies whereby you just see women handling water and then, hey, we don't see potential in that particular mundane situation there. But what do you think is important about that aspect of our lives where women are central in decision making especially when it comes to the water sector in our communities do you think they should have a role do you think they should have a, a stronger voice in that particular sector sms us your views on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five that's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five now let's end with the proverb of the 
day for today's program. It uh, has a relationship with water, and I like it. I think it's very, very brilliant. This one, it's an African proverb. Not sure from where and which country, but it states that only a fool tests the depths of the water with both feet. Only a fool tests the depths of the waters with both feet. I think that's very profound indeed. Hey, don't just go stepping into things that you're not quite sure about with confidence. Be sure that whatever you're getting into is actually for your benefit and is not going to cause danger in your life. But hey, let's uh, move on. Coming up is uh, Africa Midday.